Blog Talk Radio. This is Kale Brown. Now, I didn't play a doctor on TV, but I will prescribe Brandon's Buzz for absolutely anybody who wants to know what's really going on. Hey, guys, this is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. This is Taylor Dane, and you are listening to the one and only Brandon Buzz. Hi, this is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. This is Linda Dano. I'm on Brandon's Buzz, and I have to tell you, what a fun hour I just had. Ah. This is a great kid with a wonderful heart and soul. You listen every day. I know I will. Hey, hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you are checking out Brandon's Buzz right now. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Martin from the band Mr. Big. I'm live and kicking on Brandon's Buzz. Hi, this is Dave Camaro, and you're going to love buzzing with Brandon's Buzz. Hey guys, welcome back to Brandon's Buzz. I am Brandon. It's Tuesday night, November 23rd, 2010, 10 p.m. in the east, 7 p.m. out west, 9 p.m. here in Texas, and we've got a good one tonight. A little later on in the show, I've got a brief conversation with Emmy, Golden Globe, and Academy Award-winning actress Christine Lottie. But first up tonight, a return visit from one of my favorites. In February of last year, back when I didn't have the foggiest clue what I was doing here, this lady was my fourth guest, and I can't tell you how thrilled I am to bring her back here for the 74th episode. She rose to fame first by playing to perfection a young Bette Midler and later by headlining her own smash sitcom, Blossom. And she's back on primetime where she belongs, doing hilarious work as Amy Farrah Fowler on the nation's most watched situation comedy, The Big Bang Theory. And she's come back to the buzz to tell us all about Sheldon, science, and success the second time around. She is the magnificent Maya Bialik. Hello. How are you doing, my darling? I'm doing good. Nice to talk to you again. Same here, likewise. So who says lightning doesn't strike twice in a lifetime? Here you are in a smash that come all over again, lady. It's pretty crazy. Um, it actually is really, I mean, I don't want to say shocking, because that would sound like I have no faith in myself. But, um, you know, I, I really do feel lucky every minute and every day um, to have this opportunity as an adult. You know, I know the circumstances are markedly different here versus on Blossom, you know, not least of which because you're you're not carrying the brunt of the load here, but... Is success on this level not even a little bit sweeter the second time around? You know, it, it's funny. I don't necessarily think of it as, you know, success. Like, for me, I feel like the whole, like, blossom, that part of my life was really just a series of lucky coincidences, you know, that led to me being offered my own TV show after Beaches. Like, that's really what it felt like. <laughs> and this, to me, feels a lot more like employment, you know, um, which is not to say that it feels, you know, successful when you're employed, but... For me, this is it's very different as an adult with one toddler and a newborn, you know, yeah, to say like, you know, to say I'm going to start auditioning again and see if this can be a way of life. It's very different. It's not like, ooh, this will be fun. I'm going to do this for a little <laughs> while. It's like this is what our life looks like and this schedule and this lifestyle could really work for us raising our family the way we want to. So it absolutely feels great in the sort of success realm, but it also feels really good that everybody's got a job in our society, and mine is to be an entertainer. And I now have, you know, not a regular job, but I have steady work now, you know, at least for this season, sporadically, as an employed actor. That's what I do. And, you know, it doesn't get better than being on the number one show. I mean, my God. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that I had never seen it when I was called to the audition is a little awkward. But, yeah, I mean, now that I see what it's like and I've caught up with some of the episodes, I can see why it's an immensely successful show. It's, it is it is a sitcom, which usually I'm kind of like, ugh, I did that for yeah. five years, so I didn't want to do it again. But it's smart. It's a smart show. I'd be happy to be on any show, even if it was stupid. But this one happens to be really smart, and it's a really cerebral group of actors, and that's fun, you know? It's right down your alley, I would imagine. Yeah, we're full of ego. That's why we're actors, you know? We want you to love us, and we want to talk about, you know, our motivation for why we're picking up a glass of water with the right hand and not the left, you know? It's like, that's what we do. So how did you get this role? Did someone say, hey, she'd be perfect for this, or did you audition for it? No, I auditioned for it with a room full of really talented women, some of whom I knew, some of whom I had seen perform in, you know, comedy shows and stuff. Wow. Uh, I was just called for it uh, the night before. I was told we need a female Sheldon Cooper, and I said, I don't know who that is. <laughs> so I, uh, I Googled Jim Parsons and kind of got a snippet, you know, a little feel for what he does and kind of did my own variation of that. In my audition, I was actually much stranger. I didn't even make eye contact. That was just how I sort of did the character. And it was tense. It was me and I think five other women. Wow. And they just called us in one at a time. Then they called me and another actress back in, and they sent the others home. It was very stressful. And then I found out a couple hours later. You know, sitcoms are a pretty incestuous group, I think. Have you ever worked with any of these writers before or any of these producers? Oh, let's see. I have not worked with any of these writers or producers. Okay. That's funny. No, I actually, I hadn't thought about that. I mean, a lot of writers are younger than me, so that would explain that. that yeah, that's true. But, yeah, I mean, I had heard of Chuck Lorre and actually Don Rio, who created Blossom. He writes on Two and a Half Men now. Oh, okay. He's, the, he's, the, um, he's one of the producers on that. So, um, obviously, you know, the higher-ups know each other. Sure. But sometimes the, the lowly actors don't know anyone. You know, coming into a well-oiled machine like this, bringing a new color into an already tight acting ensemble, that can be, a, you know, a dicey proposition sometimes. I mean, you, you went through that on Blossom, which folded in new characters over the years as that show evolved. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had other actors on this show tell me it's like leaping onto a runaway train at 85 miles an hour. You know, you're just trying like hell to stick the landing. Yeah, I mean, I think for me it's more like entering a new high school, not on the first day of being a freshman, but like three weeks into <laughs> Three weeks into the semester when everybody's settled in and has picked their seats and knows who they like and don't like, and then you walk in and you have, like, a pimple on your chin and you're still wearing headgear. Like, that's more what it feels like. Did, did it feel comfortable immediately, though, or did it take you a minute to go, oh, hey, I remember how to do this, you know, in front oh, of an no, audience? no, I think I'm still very uncomfortable. I mean, there's certain aspects that I do have confidence in. I don't want to sound like I'm a totally not confident person, but there is a whole social atmosphere to the set, and, you know, I have a quirky personality, and so, you know, it has to fit in with everybody else's personality, and it becomes its own little social network. You know, Jim and I get along really well, which is great, especially since we do so much stuff together on screen, but yeah, I'm sure that Kaylee thinks I'm a total troll. I mean, she's super fun, and she likes me a lot, but um, I'm a total goonball, and that's, that's kind of what I am, no matter where you put me. <laughs> You know, it's so funny, the definition of sitcom, quote-unquote, has, you know, shifted radically over the past decade with things like The Office and, you mm-hmm. know, Arrested Development and 30 Rock. And, you know, those are great shows, but it's a big shift away from the traditional three-camera studio audience, you know, sure. live-to-tape format. And yet this thing is a smash playing by those old rules. You know, there's obviously a lot of differences, you know, just technical differences in terms of, you know, they, they want it a lot looser, they want it to be a lot more organic on this kind of show, and I think that's also just, you know, what it looks like in the 21st century, you know, it doesn't sure. need to be perfect every time, which on Blossom, it felt like our job was continuity, you know, a lot of times. But yeah, it does a lot of kind of that classic stuff, we film in front of a live audience, and um 
we really play in front of the audience. They change stuff. They give new material in front of the audience. So it's very fresh. And, you know, I have a lot of people say, like, what's with that laugh track? And I have to tell you, it's not a laugh track. What it is is the laughs are truncated so that it fits in the 24 minutes <laughs> of the show. So to me, that's what makes it sound like a laugh track is when the people are actually laughing longer in the studio and when we're filming it, and they have to end it. So it sounds like they're turning off the machine. <laughs> You know, it, it must be a great thrill getting those laughs again and, you know, being on that stage, uh, you know, a, a, a little bit older, a little bit wiser. It's different. You know, as an adult, I'm more confident, and as a female, I've really, you know, kind of come into my skin a little more, and I feel a little bit more skilled with where I can pull laughs and stuff. You know, we used to joke on Blossom, Michael Stoyanov, who played my older brother, when you would kind of ham up a joke, he used to say, like, oh, you should have been a dairy farmer, you know, because you're milking it. And so I always think of that, you know. <laughs> You mentioned Jim Parsons. You and he are a perfect match together. I mean, he is so dry, and you play off that so well. Yeah, uh, talk to me about working with him. I mean, I assume he's, that he's nothing like Sheldon in real life. He's definitely he's uh, he's social and he's a very engaged person. He's not insulting or rude or anything like his character <laughs> and obnoxiousness. But he's he's meticulous. He's a very um, disciplined actor. You know, he he's a he's a really neat guy. He's not standoffish. He's not icy. He's he's none of that. He's He's very friendly, and he's just a really interesting person. And I actually posted on my Facebook page. It's the kind of person where, not that I don't like working with him, but I wish that I had met him, you know, at a restaurant or in a, you know, class or something, because I could really see being friends with him. Whereas um, now we're, like, set friends, and it's kind of different. But he's really that kind of personality. He's fascinating, really fascinating person. Is this his big break, or has he been working for a while? You know, I don't know much about considering I had never seen the show and didn't know who he was. Um... (laughs) I know that he's a he's an accomplished pianist, like a classical pianist, and he was in theater. He was big in theater, and I think he lived in New York and kind of did that whole thing. But I think this is, you know, kind of his big thing, uh, wow. as far as I know. You know, I, I can imagine that even even given how clearly disciplined you are as an actress, that you have to fight sometimes to keep a straight face with him because his line delivery is so pitch perfect, but it's so off the wall sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think I think both of us now kind of have that with each other. You know, I, I think the female version of Sheldon, you know, my character is, she can be even weirder <laughs> than him in some ways. And I think that's really by virtue of the fact that, you know, females socialize differently. So females with the sort of personality problems that my character has still do want to fit in, and so stranger things, I think, come out of her mouth. <laughs> but we definitely, I mean, we've cracked each other up. It happens. Also, when you get in front of an audience that really likes these characters, they want to laugh, you know, and so we don't get that all week. All week, it's like the writer's laughing and the producers, and we're kind of tweaking it, and we're very critical of how the scene goes. And then you get in front of an audience who can't wait, you know, they can't wait to see all these actors do their thing. And so they have a whole different set of places that they laugh. And so I think that's what catches us off guard sometimes, and that's what makes you kind of crack up. You know, I've heard sitcom people say that the line that they think is going to get the biggest laugh kind of, you know, uh, drops like a lead balloon, and then it's the throwaway line that gets the biggest laugh. Is that is yep. that true oh, on the show, we, too? Yeah, we had a, in the episode we filmed, gosh, a week and a half ago, <laughs> I was, like, holding a pickle as a prop, and it was supposed to be weird that I'm holding a pickle. But it just got this huge laugh because the line that I had was something of a vaguely sexual nature, and I'm just standing there with this pickle. But literally all week, no laugh for the pickle. Wow. And I'm thinking, they're going to cut my, my holding the pickle. I think the pickle's funny, and nobody thinks the pickle's funny. And then we get in front of the audience, they love the pickle. <laughs> yeah, I know it's comedy, and comedy's heightened, obviously. But, you know, as a, as a UCLA graduate in the study of neuroscience, if I recall correctly, mm-hmm. uh, you, you must have run across a few quirky scientists in your day. I mean, the depictions of this 
of this milieu? Are they pretty accurate? I, I remember knowing people like this who weren't scientists um, <laughs> you know, in junior high and high school. I won't name them by name because I'm sure they're totally fine <laughs> members of society now. But I think that's part of the beauty of this show is that even though, you know, it's funny and it's funny to laugh at the quirks of these characters, it takes all kinds of people to make the world go round. Absolutely. And there's some people who are not socially skilled or can't speak in front of women, you know, in terms of Kudur Pali. Uh, there's really all sorts of people. And definitely after studying neuroscience, I got to clinically look at some of these personality types. <laughs> so it gives a different uh, flavor to it for sure. But, yeah, my feeling is it really takes all types of people. There are these types in science. You know, at least I can speak for, for the neurosciences. There are real people like this. And, I'm, again, I'm sure we all know people like them. <laughs> but how great is it to actually stumble on a role where you can take some of the things you learned in your studies and put them to practical use as an actress? I mean, how often yeah, does that I mean, happen? Well, I haven't yet run into one of my snooty neuroscience professors who will say, why aren't you a research <laughs> professor? Why aren't you using your degree? But I guess now I could say, yeah. well, I am. I play a neurobiologist <laughs> yeah, on television. Absolutely. Uh, you should know that my partner just loves you. I mean, he, I, I, you know, I, I'm a huge fan, but, but you are his hero because not only did you both navigate the crazy world of academia for a while, I mean, you mm -hmm. with neuroscience, and he has a Ph.D. in, ma in mathematics, mm -hmm. but now you're starring on his favorite TV show. I mean, you, know, <laughs> you have to know this man. He, he hates television. He thinks it's evil, but all action grinds to a halt in this house when two That's shows right. are on, Glee That's and Big right. Bang. There you go. And, you know, now that you're on the ladder, it's like forget about it. <laughs> so last night he presented me with a list of 11 questions. <laughs> okay. Seriously, it was like three pages. I mean, he actually briefly considered staying home from work today just so that he could talk to you himself. That is great. But uh, anyway, some of his questions, I've already worked into the conversation here, but he, uh -huh. he reports the following. Given my experience as a math, physics, computer science student, I can vouch for the rivalry between the various fields. For example, Sheldon frequently comments on theoretical physics being orders of magnitude above experimental physics, which is Leonard's field, and orders of orders of magnitude above engineering, which is Howard's uh -huh. field. Have you experienced this hierarchy in your own line of study, and how real do you think it is? That's a good question. You know, I think I chose to not do research on animals when I was a grad student. I chose to work with humans. And um, I, I wouldn't say that there's a hierarchy of, oh, you know, people who work with humans aren't doing real science, because, of course, we're studying Alzheimer's, or I studied OCD and Prader-Willi syndrome. But I think there's a definite, there definitely is sort of a hierarchy of, you know, I work on the molecular level or the, you know, the neurochemical level, and you work on the human psychology level. So I think there definitely is that. <laughs> he also asks, this show takes place in Pasadena with four of the main characters working at a university, presumably modeled on Caltech. Have you been to Caltech, and is it as scary a place as is depicted in the show? <laughs> um, a friend of mine got his, the Ph.D. part of his M.D. Ph.D. at Caltech. So I was there years ago. I do spend a lot of time, you know, or some time in kind of the area around it, we often hike around JPL, you know, Jet wow, Propulsion okay. Laboratories. But, no, I haven't been there to kind of see if there's an equivalent of each of these characters running around. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty easy to see why this show appeals to the math and science geeks, but clearly this show has touched a chord with, you know, a mass general audience. I mean, is it is it just as simple as it's a funny show, period, or is there more to it? Gosh, it's a, it's a good question. I, I think a lot of things really work on this show. I think it's an unusual set of characters in that they're kind of social misfits. But it's different from kind of the freaks and geeks sort of social misfit because these are guys who are actually successful in their professional and academic lives. Socially is where the problem is. And, again, I think we all know people like that, and I think that's what's sort of interesting. And I also think that, you know, Kaylee's character, to have this really funny, you know, attractive female who likes these guys yes. for some reason, I think that also resonates with people. 
even if it's not what we're, quote, supposed to do, sometimes hanging out with goony, intelligent people really fits the bill. You know, I mean, regardless of what we do, we all have, you know, social insecurities, and we all have friends who, you know, on paper we should never be friends with. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of universal in that regard. Absolutely. You, know, you also recently have done a recurring role on The Secret Life of the American Teenager. I mean, you were the guidance counselor over there, if I, if I recall mm-hmm. right. Is that done, or are you going to be continuing with that role as well? No, now Big Bang has me. They uh, they have me for this season. So, yeah, this is sort of where I live now. You know, uh, uh, that show, uh, Secret Life, it cracks me up. My best friend is obsessed with that show, and so I've watched mm-hmm. it occasionally. It's the dirtiest show on television, <laughs> which is funny because it's on the Family Channel. And Yes, you know, I mean, uh, Brenda Hampton, who created that show, she was one of the writers on Blossom. And I actually, she's actually a wonderful woman and a, a very not, you know, weird, creepy woman. So... <laughs> You know, I give her a lot of credit for, also, you know, kind of lifting the veil on what a lot of people think of as what teenagers do or don't act like. That's not to say that there are no teenagers that act like that, but I think that a lot of people want to think that the kind of stuff on that show doesn't exist, and I think in some places it does. You're going to be the mother of teenagers in the blink of an eye. I mean, does it, does it horrify you to think of, oh, my God, what's coming up? <laughs> yes and no. I mean, I think, honestly, I think culturally um, – you know, having boys for us, or at least for me, feels a little bit easier. It's a different set of pressures. You know, as a sort of student of feminism and women's studies, you know, culture is difficult on girls especially in different ways than boys. It's not to say it's not difficult for boys and that boys are not starting to experience some of the stuff that girls have been experiencing. But for us, you know, we do our best. We have a no-media household at this point, so there's not a lot of, you know, the kind of outside influence from TV and movies telling our kids what they should behave like. And so that's been working for us so far. (laughs) And even though mom's on TV, there's still no TV in the house. Yeah, or well, we have a TV. It's just it's you know something that we watch when they're asleep. Uh, we also have wine in the house, and that's not for them, you know. <laughs> Do the kids? Uh, I mean, are they old enough to understand yet what what mom does and what's going on? No, here? no. My five year old is starting to. I mean, people you know are coming up to me more. He knows the word Big Bang, but I don't know that he realizes really what it is. Gotcha. I think because he doesn't have a frame of reference for what it means to be on a TV show, because he doesn't watch one, I think it, it still is, it would kind of blow his mind. I mean, I think he'll learn it and understand it in his own time. And our little guy, um, who's not really verbal yet, he knows that I straighten my hair, and he points to his eyelashes, because I put on makeup, and he says, I have a Mimi, a meeting. <laughs> so he knows when I go out and look not like me, that it's a meeting, and then Got I'll it. be back. Got it. <laughs> you know, Secret Life must have been a trip for you, because, you know, uh, you know, to be on the other side of the spectrum. I mean, on Blossom, you were the teenager, and, and, you know, all of a sudden you're the mature adult advising the teenagers. Right. And, of course, being on set with, you know, people like Molly Ringwald and Josie Bissett, who themselves were once the hot teenagers. I mean, did you ever have a moment where you were going, wait a minute, this is odd? Yeah, I mean, there's no way to feel older than to be on a set full of, you know, 15-, 16-, and 17-year-old girls. There's just no way that you feel fatter, uglier, or more of a hag, you know? Um, I mean, I think besides that, I mean, I I was glad that I got to see sort of other, you know, actresses a little older than me, you know, like Molly and Josie, as adults. You know, my character was sort of quirky, and she was sort of trying to fit in, and they had me wear short skirts and stuff like that. But I think also just seeing what it was like off the set, you know, for these young actresses, it's so different than it was when I was on Blossom. I actually just read an excellent article about... um, how the girls that we see on television now, the young women are socially very aggressive. And that's not something that I was familiar with in the Blossom days. You know, to have females who are looking um, so kind of professional and like they're ready to walk the runway, that's a very different image of a young female than I portrayed and then than a lot of women were portraying in the 80s and in the 90s. So it's just a really different dynamic. And also, we didn't have blackberries back in the day, so it's <laughs> not unusual when you act, even on Big Bang. 
you know, a lot of the actors in between takes. They'll be checking their BlackBerry, and it's a, just a different kind of social milieu, you know. Or playing on Twitter or Facebook or, you know, exactly. all these. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Kaylee's always posting, and, yeah, so it's just different. And so we joke, you know, she's young. That's what kids do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you touched on this earlier, but talk to me about acting now versus when you were younger. I mean, you know, don't let me make you feel old here because you're my age. And right. And give or take half a year. And so as you go, so go I in that regard. But you're into your third decade of more or less consistent work in a tough, tough business. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. tell me about being – on a stage now saying lines, creating comedy out of words on a page. Does that yeah, still do for you what it always did? Yeah, I mean, I think for those of us who like performing, you know, performing is always what it is. It's all the other stuff that changes. It's the fact that there's an Internet. It's the fact that it's become sort of a national pastime to be mean anonymously on the Internet because you can. You know, the Internet publicity culture is really different. I was never walking the red carpet, you know. Even, <clears throat> excuse me, even in my late teens, it just didn't exist the way it does now. So it's really different, you know, needing to look kind of picture perfect every time you walk out of the house if you're being seen. That's really new, too. It's changed a lot. And I think for women, again, it's that extra kind of uh, pressure, you know, of needing to look as thin as you can, as pretty as you can, as sexy as you can. That's much more prominent now. But I think performing is still, you know, it's like the last innocent thing is when you get on that stage, all you need to do is make someone laugh. Wow. You know, my sense about you, and I welcome you to tell me whether this, whether this is fair or not, but my sense about you is that you've always kind of been in this business for the love of the art. And, you know, I think that's become more true the older you've, you've gotten. And my sense is that you'll walk away from it tomorrow if it ever becomes about something else. Is that, yeah, is that mean, fair or no? Yeah, I think people get slightly, you know, justifiably, I don't want to say uncomfortable, but, you know, when they hear actors talk about the, the, being a thespian and, you know, this is our art and, you know, <laughs> an artist... You know, people don't like to hear that. It's like, oh, you're making a lot of money to do nothing. You know, I, I know that that's what people kind of think of it as. But I do think that, especially for me, who started acting when I was in elementary school, when I was 11 years old, actually almost out of elementary school, I like performing and I like being on stage, and that's still true. You know, my kids are my best job right now. So if it ever came down to it, yeah, that's the only job that matters, and, and all that matters is that my family is intact and that everybody's fed and rested and all that good stuff. But I do, you know, I enjoy what I do. I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity, and I hope to be able to do good things with what I do and not just get to go to fancy parties. <laughs> <laughs> so have you had issues with paparazzi, or do you live a pretty anonymous life away from the set? It's pretty anonymous. I mean, you know, except the fact that going to the farmer's market, you know, means that I need to really look the way I want to look on the Internet. And, just in case, you know, you can yeah. look you can look on the Internet, and I don't always look, you know, camera perfect when I'm buying, you know, groceries. Um, but, no, it's not really so much of an issue for me. I mean, obviously, walking the red carpet, you're dealing with photographers and stuff. But otherwise, thank God, my life's pretty boring. It's not that interesting. And, you know, most of the time I'm at the park with my kids or we're a homeschooling family. So life's really just, you know, about going to classes and I teach. And that's really it. So nobody seems to care that much. <laughs> so what's coming down the pike for Amy and Sheldon? I don't know much. We find out scripts the night before, before we get them. So I don't know much. I know that the episode that we did a couple weeks ago is called the um, Alien Parasite Hypothesis. It's very, very funny. It's very strange. (laughs) And it's a really good Amy Sheldon plot. You know, the last episode that aired, it showed kind of me with the girls. Yeah, girls might have. Yeah, this is more kind of a me and Sheldon exploring some of the feelings that other humans have that we're not familiar with. You know, that, that Girls Night episode was so funny because you kept saying, well, I'm a girl. I mean, right. it, was, it was so funny how Amy couldn't compute that she wasn't quite invited on Girls Night Out. 
Correct. And uh, and this next episode actually opens with her, you know, having drinks with the other girls. So obviously something has continued. <laughs> but again, I think, you know, I, I saw some postings on the Internet, not that I'm supposed to read them because sometimes they're mean. <laughs> Somebody said, you know, why would I want to hang out with Amy? And, you know, I, I mean, I was at least I even saw this in grad school. You know, sometimes the kind of girl that doesn't fit in, she tags along and it's okay, you know. She has a drink. So I think that's the hope of Penny and Bernadette is that Amy can just kind of hang, but clearly she can't, but we kind of keep that concept going. <laughs> so what's on the horizon for Mayim Bialik? Any other irons in the fire here? This is it for, I mean, for right now, this is it. This is my uh, my TV life, you know, sporadically for the next season. I actually have a book that I wrote for Simon & Schuster. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, well, I wrote it for myself and for the people who buy it, but Simon & Schuster is a... Uh, has bought it. It's on kind of holistic and attachment parenting. We haven't picked a title yet because the one that I picked was already taken, but I'll be editing that kind of for the next year and formatting and all that stuff. It's going to come out in the spring of 2012. Fantastic. Well, I'll have to drag you back here to talk about that. Yeah, so that's kind of what I'm doing. And as I said, you know, we're raising our kids. I've got a five-year-old and a (laughs) two-year-old, and I teach piano, I teach chemistry, and I teach biology weekly. So Wow. (laughs) That's what I do. So the most important question is, what's up with Blossom on DVD? Where's the rest of them? Whose who's you know, bell do we have to ring for this? I don't know. Um, you know, Shout Factory released the first two seasons. I have not seen any record that it even sold. I haven't seen any numbers. I mean, I know people bought it, but um, I definitely think it needs to have the other three seasons released. But Shout Factory is the only person I know to harass. So. <laughs> well, I tell you, I'll get on their case, and I will encourage <laughs> people listening to this to get on their case as well. Thank you. <laughs> And, you know, uh, you know I love you. Uh, thank you so much for coming back here and subjecting yourself to my madness one more time. Thank I really you. appreciate it. I was so it. impressed just to hear all the people who you've had on. It was uh, very impressive and exciting. So uh, you know, it's been, it's been a really incredible couple of years here. And, Good for you. And I thank people like you for, for stopping in and playing along. Thank you. No worries. Best of luck with, with Big Bang Theory this season and, and upcoming seasons, and best of luck with the book. And, and I'll be talking to you again soon, I hope. I'll talk to you soon, Brandon. Thank you so much. Bye. The fantastic Maya Bialik, everybody. I'm Brandon Buzz. Coming right back with the fantastic Christine Lottie. Hang tight, everybody. Australopithecus would really have been sick of us debating how we're here. They're catching deer. We're catching viruses. Religion or astronomy. So I got a chance last week to have a brief conversation with the terrific actress Christine Lottie, an Emmy and Golden Globe winner for her role as Dr. Catherine Austin on the great series Chicago Hope and the Academy Award-winning director of a short film called Lieberman in Love. Uh, she's currently recurring as a troubled district attorney on Law & Order SVU, and she stopped in here last week to discuss that role as well as the rest of her glorious career. You know, I, I recently got a chance to talk to the actor Eric Roberts, who came up roughly around the same time you did. I don't know if you guys ever crossed paths, but you came up at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, what I love about him is, A, you can't keep that guy down. He's working all the time somewhere. And right. B, he kind of bounces around and does a little bit of everything. He did a sitcom a few years ago. He does big budget film. He does indie film. He's recurring on a soap opera right now. He's everywhere. And you know, to me, to my eye, you're very much on that same track. I think you do films, you do TV movies, you guest star in TV series like SVU this week, and you know you've got a recurring mm-hmm. role over there. You do short films, whatever. You know, when you guys were coming up, what you do now would have been considered career suicide, I think. And so, uh, you know, I'm wondering, <laughs> as someone who's very much in the game and can speak on it. Are all those dumb walls between the genres of entertainment finally falling down, or are you just at the point in your career and in your life where 
you don't really give a flying damn what Hollywood thinks of your professional choices anymore. I think for me, I can't speak for Eric, but I've always gone to where the interesting writing was, where the best writing was, whether it was on stage or film or TV or independent films, whatever. I, I just am attracted to great writing, and whenever an opportunity comes up to do that, that's where I go. It doesn't really Absolutely. matter what the medium is, yeah. You know, we're in, we're in a time now where Alec Baldwin can do a sitcom and be embraced and, and kind of universally beloved for it, and... When you first came to Chicago Hope in 1995, you were one of the first, at least in modern times, I think, one of the first movie stars with an identifiable pedigree to come to television in a in a regular starring role. And if I recall correctly, you took some flack for that uh, within your industry at the time. Did, did you consider yourself a pioneer at that time? Wow, I didn't really. I mean, it was a very hard decision, to be honest, to do a series. At that time, there was still some stigma attached. But mostly, it, I thought, in my own mind, <clears throat> because I hadn't really watched television. I was just doing film and theater. And then I watched an episode of Chicago Hope that my husband had directed and I was so blown away. I didn't realize that the writing was phenomenal. The acting was great. It was like a great one act play. And I thought, what am I being a snob for? This is much better than ninety percent of the films. Why am I what am I staying away from television for? So that really turned me around and I thought that it was all just crap, all that kind of <laughs> negative stigma about not doing television. You know, it's funny, because at that time, primetime television drama was kind of on the cusp of, of entering its true golden age with shows like Hope and ER, NYPD Blue, Murder One, and they raised exactly. the bar enormously, and they laid the groundwork for things like Sopranos and Mad Men and, and your husband's masterpiece, The West Wing, to succeed playing by their mm -hmm. own rules. Exactly, and I think that today, even more than when I did Chicago Hope, I think that one could say that television, quality of television exceeds, in a general way, the quality of, of most movies. So tell me about SVU. You, you're uh, recurring over there. You, you've, you've played this role several times now. How much fun is it to be over there in that in that group of actors? Well, it's pretty amazing. I did five shows last season as this character, Sonia Paxton, and she's really complicated and She's the character you love to hate, and um, she's abrasive and control freak and an alcoholic, and she's a lawyer, and she gives Stabler and Benson a really hard time. So that's fun, especially in terms of Stabler, I guess. Very few people stand up to him because he's kind of a macho bully, I guess. And um, the crew in particular, they were very happy when I slapped him last year. And this year I, I get to really call him on the carpet, and people were cheering <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it was really, they're such good actors, both Chris and Mariska, and they're so beloved by America that when I'm mean to them, I really get flack in Starbucks. <laughs> People come up to me and say, stop being so mean to Stabler or, you know, quit treating her like that. <laughs> My response is, get a life. <laughs> You know the, those Law and Order shows—they're—they're—they're they're, they're very much known as as you know actors' dreams. Tell me the, tell me the magic for you guys over there. What what is it about those shows that is very alluring to people like yourself? In particular, Law and Order SVU, I think, is very character driven. Some of the others might be a little more procedural, and the character development and complexity is secondary to the case. But on this show, I have found that there's a lot of great character stuff to work on, and as I said, complexity, and I'm proud to be part of that. You know, this has nothing to do with nothing, but one of my favorite shows of the past decade was a great series called Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, which 
mm. was just a, a was, was a fantastic show. And anytime I get a chance to speak with anybody who had anything to do with that show, I always bring the conversation to a hall and ask about their experience with it, with that show. Please, 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 please tell me that Martha O'Dell was a fun job for you, even if you have to lie to me. Oh, it was a dream job. She was <laughs> incredible. And, of course, to work with Aaron Sorkin and my husband, Tommy Schlamy, who Absolutely. executive produced that and directed along with The West Wing. And, yeah, she was a great character. She, she only I think I was only in two or three episodes, but I loved every second of it. You know, you're an actor who's clearly drawn to intelligent, sharply written, upper echelon material. You, you, you know, you did Studio 60, which was unfairly brutalized for mere sport by most of this nation's critics, I think. You did a fabulous mm-hmm. show called Jack yeah. and Bobby several years ago that was just murdered on Sunday nights over on the WB. Mm-hmm. Is there such a thing as material that is too smart to succeed or to appeal to mass audiences the way that shows are required to these days? Well, yeah. I mean, I think in the case of Jack and Bobby, it was probably on the wrong network. I think the WB, although they talked about wanting to change their demographic to an older, maybe more intelligent audience, they <laughs> they couldn't with one show. You know, you just can't change an entire reputation of a network with one show. And so they, I no think matter they how good that show is. To, yeah, I don't think you can do that. I think you have to have a whole slate of shows that support that. And slowly you can change maybe a demographic, but... It just wasn't supported in the right way by that, obviously, by WB. They canceled it after one season, and I think that show was, had it been on a different network, it might still be running. It was such a good show. Damn right. Yeah. So what's on the horizon for Christine Luddick? What's coming down the pike? Well, I did a few independent film roles. Uh, One is coming out in February called Flying Lessons with Hal Holbrook. Oh great! Okay. And there's yeah, that was a really that's a really good one. And then there's one called Touchback that doesn't have a release date yet. And then I'm about to go shoot in January a couple more Law and Order SVUs and another feature film in New York. And I want to say thank you to Christine Lottie and to the marvelous Mayim Bialik for stopping back in here. Uh, that's it, guys. Brandon's Buzz in the can for November 23rd, 2010. Uh, if you're already listening, you already know, but in case you don't know, three places online to find Brandon's Buzz. blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz is home base for this show. Uh, from there, you can listen to the show. You can download old episodes of the show. You can uh, leave comments. You can send emails. It really is Mission Control for Brandon's Buzz. Again, it's blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. You can also find me at brandonsbuzz.com, my blog. There at the top of any page at brandonsbuzz.com is a blue button marked radio. You click that button. That takes you to a page where there is a full radio archive of every episode of this show. This is episode number 74. This and all previous 73 available in the radio archive at brandonsbuzz.com. Uh, you can also find me on iTunes, guys. I'm on iTunes. Just type Brandon's Buzz in the iTunes Music Store search box. Scroll down to the podcast section. Click on my logo. From there, you can uh, download individual old episodes of the show as podcasts for playback on the device of your choosing. Or you can subscribe to the show and have new episodes automatically download to your library the minute they're uploaded to the music store. So I'm all over the Internet. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on iTunes. I'm Brandon's Buzz on all three of those. Google words Brandon's Buzz, and something will pop up that points you in my direction, I promise. And I appreciate you guys, as always, coming in my direction. I appreciate you guys finding me and listening to me, and I hope you continue finding and listening to Brandon's Buzz.
Hi, everybody out there. This is Eileen Kristen, and I have just been on Brandon's Buzz. This is a great show and a very sophisticated mind. So spread the word, Brandon's Buzz. This is Claire Massey from Tammy Show, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Great guy, great show. Check it out. Hey, guys, this is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi, this is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So if you feel that you just can't take it, and your world isn't what it seems, don't forget that life can be what you make it. Baby, when you live on a street of dreams. Hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you're with Brandon Buzz, the place to be. Hi, everybody. This is Nicholas Walker. Merci à vous tous. Écoutez Brandon Buzz sur Blog Talk Radio. Bonsoir et à très bientôt. <laughs> 